welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. And today, oh my goodness, we are going to go way the hell beyond just training and nutrition. Uh, I am so excited about this guest. Uh, I've had to cancel on her once. She's had to cancel on me once. We've been going back and forth. I've dug into so much of her content and I'm just I cannot tell you how excited I was, and I cannot express how mind-blown I am. I literally just got off the podcast with her one minute ago, so I just hung up, and I had to record this right away. Um, she literally blew my mind, like literally blew my mind. Probably one of my favorite podcasts uh, that I've done in a long, long time. In fact, this is uh, the reintroduction of the interviews, so if you haven't noticed, we haven't done interviews in a couple months now. We took the summer off because we had a chaotic schedule, and we had a lot of back-end content, exclusive work to create for our clients and our members base and the app. So we've just been nonstop busy and we had to put interviews on a pause. This is the first one to reignite the, the interviews to come and I couldn't be more excited for it to be Dr. Caroline Leaf. She is the most intelligent researcher, author, content creator, um, I mean, unbelievable practitioner when it comes to everything, mind, brain, body, nutrition, all of these things tying together. Um, and, and it's a really interesting concept she has and the way she articulates how the mind and the brain are completely separate and completely different things. And today that's exactly what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about how the mind and the brain are completely different. We're gonna talk about how you can influence your mind with your thoughts to change the way your brain and body uh, act see results, create, rebuild, get through injuries. We're going to dive through the placebo effect. We're going to dive through daily practices and also discuss a little bit of what she does within neuropsychology and what she has to offer with her book, with her app, with her upcoming course. Um, you guys are going to love this. If you were into fitness and nutrition, this is one of those things that's kind of like a missing piece that fuels your ability to be successful with training and nutrition. And if you're a coach, this is the most important tool that allows you to influence your clients to be more successful, adherent, and consistent with the training and nutrition that protocols that you're trying to provide them. In fact, psychology in general is one of the main things, it's the main pillars, main focuses and categories of study that we implement at Tailored Coaching Method with our coaches. We're constantly focusing on this, but Dr. Caroline Leaf not only breaks down the science behind it, but she takes it to another level with neuropsychology and how the brain and the mind are completely different. So um, I, I highly encourage you to grab a journal, grab a pen, grab a pad, listen to this twice. There is a lot of info here and it was just under an hour. We're going to get her back on when her course launches in a month or so. I'm going to link her, her book, her Instagram, which is just at Dr. Caroline Leaf, her content, where you can find her all that in the description of this podcast. I highly recommend that you check it out. Now, before we get into the podcast, I do have a quick thing to remind you guys of a quick shout out, a quick sponsor, if you will, shameless plug, the tailored trainer, which is our daily workout app. So if you want done for you, periodized, evidence-based programming, um, a wide variety of training splits. So whether you want to train three days or four days or five days or six days a week, whether you want conditioning, you just want lifting, you want a body build, you want a power build, you want to lose fat, it doesn't matter. We have everything in there. It is designed to be tailored to you and it is only 27 bucks a month. But because you are a podcast listener, you're going to get a seven-day free trial. So if you check out the link in the description or head to tailoredtrainer.net, you can get a seven-day free trial before even paying a dime and you can experience what that app, the app has to offer before investing anything at all without any risk or commitment. Now, without any further ado, let's get into this unbelievable conversation about neuropsychology with the one and only Dr. Caroline Leaf. 
All right. Well, uh, I'm really, really excited about this. Uh, I've dug into your background, um, knowing that we've had to cancel a few times, once on my end, once on your end. I've uh, I've spent months digging into your stuff, and I'm just so excited for this. I think this is a topic that so many people can use and apply into their life, whether we're talking just fitness goals, we're talking entrepreneurs, we're talking marriage, anything really. It's just it's yeah. so applicable, and it's such an interesting topic. Um, but before we dive into everything, um, I know we are limited on time, so we'll just kind of do your background in a nutshell, if that's okay with you. But kind of Absolutely. give yourself an intro, tell us who you are, why you do what you do, and just give the, the people a little bit of an insight so they know who, who I'm talking to today. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Cody. It's nice that we've connected and I'm looking forward to our talk. Um, So basically, I'm a clinical and cognitive neuroscientist and communication pathologist. And what that means is that I study, I've been studying the, my specific direction of study for the last 38 years, it's been a long time, is psychoneurobiology, which is mind-brain-body connection, understanding the difference and the connection and the impact. So the kind of research I do looks at how we can direct our mind, what mind is, what are thoughts, what are memories, how does it work, what is our level of agency, and when we direct our mind, what does that do in the brain, what does that do in the body, and then I also look at the impact of if we're not managing our mind, toxic stress, toxic patterns of thinking, which then lead to toxic lifestyle things, which then dives into your area in terms of nutrition, exercise, and so on, what does that do to the brain and the body, and how can we shift that around, so how can we actually build healthy thoughts into our brain that lead us to healthy patterns. So my work began in very much a clinical sense where I worked with traumatic brain injuries. I did some of the first neuroplasticity work in my field, showing that when you change your mind, you change your brain, which implies the brain and brain, which talks, it basically implies the brain and mind are separate, which is the philosophy I come from and the scientific world that the scientific angle that I come from. I also work with dementia and autism and learning disabilities and trauma. Um, I was back in South Africa at that point. And so for 25 years, I worked in parallel training, a practice training physicians, training people in all this mind brain stuff and teachers and um, and lecturing at universities. I also did a lot of work three days a week in the apartheid system in what they called the township areas. So the people that had been so um, negatively affected by the terrible apartheid system in South Africa, I worked all the way through the transition with Mandela, post-apartheid, I've worked in Rwanda, and I say all that to say is that I've spent a huge amount of time as a researcher and as a clinician in the field working with people in all all levels, like from the extreme states of trauma, extreme states of of, um, of of not having anything to high levels of privilege and different parts of the world and that kind of thing. And, and, I've, and I've turned a lot of that um, in the field research into clinical studies. So everything I talk about is based on that. So that's a very important foundation. It's come from a quite a rich history of experience and research and so on. And I say that to say that there's very few people that are actually studying mind per se. There's a lot of research around uh, the philosophy of mind and sort of um, talking about is the free will an illusion and and there's a massive, massive um, of, uh, growth of research in neuroscience, which is also my field. And it's all fantastic, but we've got so caught up in the brain that we've actually forgotten about the mind. And so I've tried in my career to keep um, to keep studying the mind and the mind-brain connection. And basically, I, start, I don't practice anymore. Now what I do is I've, put all, I've written many books and cleaning up my your mental mess is my latest book. I write books, I lecture still, I do conferences, and I have a podcast. And I basically teach people now how to manage their mind, manage mental health, get a different perspective on mental health training people, coaches, et cetera, whatever. So it's quite, quite a lot of stuff. And yeah. I still do research. I still run clinical trials. Yeah, I love the hands-on aspect because 
even in my field as well too, there's, there's a difference between textbooks and, and working with real people. So I love that oh, aspect. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I always have to ask this uh, because I'm always interested just as an entrepreneur myself and there's always a story, but what made you go down this path? What was the thing that caused you, if you can share with us, like why this study of research, why this thing? Well, what really caught me was one of my, I, I was going to, I was going into neurosurgery and I did a very interesting degree where it was a combination of neuroscience, neurosurgery, um, all the psychoneurobiology. It was kind of an experimental type degree and it was very, very, very challenging and very difficult. And, but it, I'm so glad I did it because it taught me to really think about and ask the questions that I, that have led me down this, this, this train of thought. And, and I've gone in, went further with my master's and PhD because it, re it really stimulated the desire to understand the mind. Mm. And I could see there was, because in the, in the 80s, they didn't believe the brain could change, but they believed the mind and brain were separate. Now, they believe the mind and brain, as you were talking just before you started recording, are the same thing, but they're not. And that change, that shift has influenced how we look at people's mental health and how we handle mental health. And in this day and age, what really motivates me and it has motivated me a lot is the understanding of the mind has made me see that if we don't deal with mind, it's first cause. If your mind is not working, you're dead, basically. So the difference between a dead person and a live person is not the brain, it's the mind making the brain work. And when you get that understanding, if you if you lose that understanding, you land up with the situation we're in currently. And I've watched this trajectory over the last 38 years, where we get so caught up in the neuroscience, which is excellent stuff, that we forget all about the mind. And the brain and the body are are only part of who we are. The mind is the driving force, it's first cause. And so we have statistics now that not many people speak about, and I've got them in my book, but there was a popular, uh, there was a, a um, people, scientists started seeing that from about 1996, which is interestingly enough, when we started first seeing that the brain could change with technology, um, like fMRI and stuff, even though I did neuroplasticity research in the 80s, we were using CT scans at that stage. Then we have got fMRI technology in mid-90s, which then enabled us to be able to see the brain responding in real time. And from then on, it was seen the brain can change, but the, the language became the brain is changing itself. But I'll give you a dead brain. It's not doing anything. But your brain right now is doing incredible stuff. It's not. It's like it made a, a, a multiple million changes already in just the short time we've been talking. So your structure of your brain is changing as you're listening to me. So that I wanted to understand how do you drive that process, and and so that really motivated me to understand that because if you've got a handle on your mind, you've got a handle on your life, because your mind is actually driving the effectiveness of your digestive system, of your ability of your DNA to respond to exercise, of the ability of your DNA to respond to everything that you're doing every second, your mind is driving that process. So if mind is so important, it should be primary in our focus. It shouldn't be one of four pillars. It actually drives the pillars. Mm -hmm. So the pillars would be nutrition, exercise, and, and mind is actually driving the whole thing. So you could say, you know, you could say nutrition, exercise, maybe stress management or something like that, which are the typical and spiritual, which are the typical things people say in terms of the four pillars. But you have to overarch all of those is mind because if you did, you're not doing any of those. But because you're alive, your mind is driving you to pay attention to nutrition, to exercise. So that's driven me. This, uh, what is this driving force? It's called the hard question of science. I think it's the easiest question of science because we're using our mind right now. In order to even ask that question, you had to use your mind. So if you want evidence of mind, just look at yourself. Look at the fact that you make decisions, that you respond to life, that you wake up in the morning and you're starting to experience the day and that's being converted into by your mind into your brain and that re that that reaction creates a genetic response and you actually build 
protein structures to hold the experience in your brain. And you change the 37 to 100 trillion cells of your brain and your body instantaneously. And this is going on all day long. But when you're dead, it's not. Nothing's happening. So mind needs attention. And that's what keeps driving me and what has driven me. And helping people with mind management, whether you are three years old or you're 53 or you whatever, 103, you still have a mind. It's still changing. It's still growing. Our story's never written. So we therefore, we need mind management throughout our life. So that's a, a, kind of a long answer, but it's mm-hmm. really the driving force behind what I do. So in a simple way, and I could be completely wrong, so you can correct me if I am, would the mind be your thoughts, your perspectives, your aspirations, um, love, things like that, whereas the brain is more logical and analytical. It's actually storing memories versus how you're perceiving things. You've almost got it right. So the brain can't do anything. So think of a dead brain. If I held up, I mean, I've got a model of a brain here. For the listeners, I'm holding up a model of a brain, a plastic one. Let's say, for example, this was real and someone, and I was holding up a dead brain, and even if the blood was still coming out of it, and we put QEEG and fMRI technology and we try to see if nothing would be happening in the brain um, because it's, there's no force that's making it do stuff. Mm. So the brain needs something to make it do what it does. That's the mind. Uh-huh. So the mind then is, um, the big picture of the mind is that it, it's, it's your ability to think and feel and choose those few things, which then produce your thoughts and your thoughts encompass your perspectives, your attitudes, your your cultural upbringing, your experiences. All of those are actually memories built into your thoughts. So your perspective is a memory related to a concept, related to data, with, with data memories. So it's concept memories related or perspective memories, emotional memories related to data memories, but they're inside thoughts and they've been built from your experiences. So you wake up in the morning and you start experiencing the emails, the conversations, the preparation for work, this podcast. All of these are being experienced by your mind, your ability to think, feel, and choose enables you to have this conversation. But you're taking in my sound waves, my electromagnetic light waves into the gravitational fields of your mind. And on psychologically, you're thinking, feeling, and choosing about what I'm saying. This is all hitting your brain. Your brain is then responding because you're alive. And there's a neurochemical, electromagnetic, and genetic response. And all of this then that converts, the mind shows up in the brain in that, in that, all those physics ways. And then there's a genetic response. There's a sort of collapsing genetic response and proteins are made. They group together. They grow into branches and our discussion is growing into a tree in your brain. So we talk about the thought trees of the brain made of memories. So all the little branches are the memories, the emotions, the data, the stuff I'm saying, your perceptions, your attitudes, your, uh, and then everything that is related to this, because I'm prompting other memories, you've got existing memories. So as I'm, as you're building this memory of what I'm saying, you have your own memory related to the stuff and those would be coming up and you'd be building connections between those so at the at the root level and the, and the branch level you'd be building connections across the brain with other existing memories that are similar and helping you understand this so you're always your mind is therefore working to build thoughts thoughts are made of memories so your mind takes all the data the emotions the experience what's happening this conversation the words i'm saying the emotions this is generating etc it takes all this data and it and and puts it into the understands it puts it in the brain the physics happens and the end result is a product and it's a physical thought tree made of proteins and those proteins are vibrating with the information and the more information you add the more branches you grow and so the one this isn't one branch one protein it's lots of proteins millions and the the roots are what i'm saying 
in our conversation, the branches are your unique interpretation, your unique perception. Because mm. the way you understand this and the way each listener that's listening and each viewer that's watching is totally different because none of us have the same way of thinking, feeling, and choosing. So each of us will have, this is based on our unique perceptions or our unique way that we think, feel, and choose, our unique mind, plus our experiences. So all of us are building the treetops differently. The roots would be the same because it's the same source. So we take in and then we, 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 we interpret, we take in and we interpret and all that is mind work, doesn't happen in a dead person. So that's why we can't say mind is, is brain. And we can't say brain produces mind because I give you a dead brain, where's the mind? You know, so mind needs brain. I need my brain, so do you, and I need my body because as soon as I build this into the brain, the brain then sends a message immediately, it's so fast, it's beyond the speed of light, to every single other cell of your body. And you've got 37 to 100 trillion cells in your brain and your body. And each one of those then stores this as a genetic change in your DNA, which is phenomenal, which is why we have body memories, which is why when people recall traumatic events, it's not just the data that comes up and the emotions, but it's a whole body experience. Your mm. body, you know, you'll feel sick and fluey and whatever, however you were in that physical state at the time of the trauma, that'll be stored and that'll come back. So even if you had flu then, but you don't have flu now, the, the trauma memory will bring back flu feelings and you'll get, so it's stored in our body and things like EMDR and walking therapy, bring that out from the body brain. So in other words, and then also the memory stored in the gravitational fields of the mind. So around you and me and everyone else is a gravitational field. Now I'm not talking about the ones that keep us from floating. I'm talking about each of us has our own unique one and our own unique electromagnetic field. This is Einstein's work, photons, etc. You don't find that in a dead person. When a dead person, when a person dies, it goes. People's weight change. It's minute, fractional, but it's it's there's a weight change. So there's a field that moves out. And this is not anything weird. It's weird. It's pure physics. It's electromagnetics. It's quantum physics. It's gravitational field research. It's the fact that if you, if there's if there's substance, substance actually has a field around it. It's as simple as taking a magnet and putting it in the middle of a, of a pile of iron filings. And the iron filings go from being just a mountain of nothing, of I mean, just mountain of iron filings into this spider-like shape around the magnet. The ma and, and what you're looking at, there's not a spider. You're looking at the electromagnetic field visualized using the filings. If there were no filings there, the field is still there, but you can't see it. So we're using the filings to see it. So in other words, the brain is almost like the magnet and the field is around the magnet, that's the mind. And then as we do stuff, those are the iron filings. So then we can see the results of our, what we say and what we do is, is produced. So brain, nothing on its own, magnet, magnet, electromagnetic, but there's an electromagnetic field. So now there's an alive brain. So now there's a field. So now that field and that magnet are now placed in life, the iron filings. And the iron filings now arrange, so they build, they create, so that the, the network builds in the brain. And now we have a field which then generates a response. So what you say and what you do is the sort of final stage. So I know it's complicated, but it's as simple as you listen and see and touch and feel. In other words, you experience. Mind takes that all in. There's a physics level. There's a psychological level. goes in your brain. Your brain responds on all these electromagnetic chemical levels, genetic Builds thoughts in your brain, changes your DNA, builds a wave in your mind mind field, and then you speak. So everything I'm saying to you, I've spent years using my mind to study this stuff, and I've got lots and lots of networks. So I'm going to use like 
three trees here. I've got lots and lots and probably more of these networks and that I have the root systems would be my studies and my experience would be the interpretation. And as I've gone on, because the story is never written in science, is I've added more and more. And then as I'm speaking, I'm speaking from these. So whatever you say and do is not coming from some fresh area. It's coming from what you've got in your head. So we can track what we say and what we do, everything about you, what you produce in the world. We can track back to thoughts in your head. And we can track back from the thought to the root, which was the source. So you can go from the experience or the, the behaviors, what people are saying, doing, feeling, et cetera, to the, to the thinking, to the thinking, the thoughts, the thinking pattern that produced the thought, the root system. And you can decide, do you want to grow that? Or do you want to deconstruct that? Do you want to reconstruct it? What do you want to do with that? So obviously, if it's healthy, you want to grow more. But if it's toxic, you definitely want to deconstruct it and reconstruct it. Otherwise, it's impacting your functioning. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you want to unpack that. That's kind of a yeah, real I mean, sciencey explanation, but that's really what's happening. Well, even even uh, it makes me think of things like a quote unquote gut feeling, you know, and then even when you, when you meet somebody or somebody comes to ruin and you can feel their presence, rather whether it's that's good or bad. That's a psychoneurobiology. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that 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 kind of ties together. It makes a lot of sense. Is and if the answer is no to this question, it would make sense why people have a hard time understanding this. But is there no physical? Um, physical attachment or physical thing that I can like, because the brain, you can hold the brain, you know, you said like you can take a brain out of the yeah. body, like here's the brain, but the mind, it doesn't sound like there is an organ or something that I can physically touch. Is that why, is that part of the reason why people have struggled to separate the yeah, two and figure definitely. it out? Definitely. Definitely. Because classical physics, which dominates classical physics is all about um, what you can see, touch and feel. Mm. And so um, it's in that realm. So anything that you can't physically touch and see and feel, even with electron, well, that's changed things with, with the way we can see subatomic particles and how they operate. But basically, it's the philosophy and thinking is if I can't see, touch and feel it, then it's something that I'm not going to talk about. So the scientists talk about promissory um, promissory science, which is the stuff that when we can have a way of measuring, but we do have a way of measuring because quantum physics, which is the old one of the oldest forms of physics, um, types of physics, um, and one of the most accurate and fundamental forms of physics works with classical physics. So it's almost like you've got two divisions, classical, which is very physically driven, and then quantum, which is the underneath the classical. So the whole picture is, that's only half the picture. There's also, it's only a Start tip of the iceberg. Classical physics is the tip of the iceberg. The end of the iceberg is, is more of the quantum world. And, in, and when we talk about quantum physics, we're talking about things like gravitational fields, mm. electromagnetic forces, photons, which aren't, you can't touch them, but we can see evidence of them. We've got the old fashioned double split, exp split experiment where we could see particles collapsing into waves. So you can see evidence of that. So there's a lot of incredible research showing that side of things um, is, is very real. So it's just a different type of real. It's a different type of physicality um, that that mind lives in. It lives in that sort of, and as we advance in science, we're going to understand it so much more. You know, there's all these different theories of quantum physics, but it's not that quantum physics is taking over classical, it completes it. Whereas classical physicists will say quantum physics, they don't really like like it. There's a you know there's this kind of split, and that's unfortunate because we're very limited in our view. If you if you eliminate the whole picture that we have currently, and then we don't even have the whole picture because science is a moving 
target it really is um, so we can't eliminate that and there's already people that are winning nobel prizes for their work in gravitational fields and measuring gravitational fields which means that the stuff we can't see is measurable and the example i gave of of a, of a magnet and electromagnetic fields you can't if i hold up a magnet you can't see the field does it not exist because i can't see it so what's my evidence that it exists very obvious if i stick it in the middle of an iron filing i get that arrangement if you put a magnet against a paper clip you can see the relationship so there's something but that 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 the uh, magnet is em emitting which is an electromagnetic field that you can't see but it does stuff that's what the mind is like that's the easiest way to understand mind it's this field and it's power and it's and it's got a psychological component because we feel it we experience it and the way we can experience mind is mind shows up in our brain and our body so our brain and our body are very necessary for us to experience mind you can't experience mind without a brain and a body you know, and, you, and mind and brain and brain and body can't experience mind without mind, and they can't produce it. It's, genes are not self-emergent. What that means is that a gene can't switch itself on. This is very established. A gene is in a cell. Cells form organs like the brain. So a brain is made up of cells, and cells are made up of, of, of things, and genes are some of the smallest things that cells are made up of. So, And a gene can't switch itself on, but the gene is kind of going down to the basic building block but there's other ones below that it's kind of the a very classical building block there's the subatomic building blocks too that that's made of um but that in terms of that that gene can do nothing unless you are alive motivated it needs a switch the mind is the switch and that's what we need to understand the mind is first cause if you're looking for a first cause mind is first cause it generates all the rest so if the gene is not self-emergent, it means the brain is not self-emergent, which means the brain can't produce anything. So mind can't be a mistake or an artifact of neurons firing because neurons won't fire if you did. Mm. That's as simple as that's the most simple version of the argument. So knowing this and this perfect description of this, and, and obviously your book dives into it more, which we'll bring up here in a sec, but um, it's clear that the mind and the brain are different. Now, how, and I'd love to hear the science or the, uh, some examples that you have of patients or anything like that sure. of uh, changing your brain with your mind. This is something I've heard you talk about and things that you can do to change the way your brain operates. And, and it's something I've been a, a huge believer in for a long time and not fully understanding why, but um, I've been mentored by people that were very big on meditation and affirmations and journaling. And then I've read a lot about the placebo effect. And I've just always had this thing of quote unquote, speaking things into existence. When I have a big goal, I, I tell people about it. And even if I have doubts, the more I tell people, the more accountable I am and the more I believe into it. And then I, and then I do it and I act on it. And, um, and this sounds hilarious, but I've even, uh, my family has even gotten sick. Um, and recently the has had COVID and stuff. And I, and I was yeah. jokingly said like, and I did this. I looked in the mirror every day and said I wasn't going to get it because at the end of the day, somebody in the household needed to stay healthy for my daughter and so, everybody. And I didn't yeah. get it. I, I mean, I live with them. I didn't get it. Um, and, you know, knock on wood, obviously, I don't want to. And I'm very healthy and everything. But every time there's been a sinus infection, every time there's been any kind of doubt, I, I literally talk to myself in the mirror. I journal about it. And I actually really do push affirmations to try to, to, to believe that I will not get sick. I will not have this happen or I will accomplish this. Um, and to a lot of people, it sounds very, very cheesy. And I think it's, it's, it, I always say it's one of those things where if you're not willing to do the cheesy things, you're not willing to succeed because these things really do work. And I'm stealing these from very successful people that I've looked up to. Um, but if there's a science behind it, I want to know, like, what is it that these, these thoughts and these things that you do with your mind can, can change the way your brain and body operate or act? So it's, it's a it's a great question and you set that up very beautifully um so 
um, there's so many ways I can answer this. First of all, the concept of um, speaking things into being law of attraction or that kind of thing has been, is based on science, but it's been science that's been applied in a very shaky way. And it's, mis it's been very misleading because yes, you've been successful in that, but and I'll tell you why I believe you've been successful. And I'm sure there's areas it hasn't worked because it, it's, it's certain things it will, but certain things it, it may not have worked as effectively. The danger is that someone might think, okay, if I just say it mm -hmm. and I say that goal, I can carry on believing whatever. Yeah. And because I'm saying it, I'm going to attract it. And, not and that's the danger. It. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's the danger. And that's where um, the years and years of the sort of Tony Robbins style, you know, mm -hmm. kind of um, that sort of thinking and the positive thinking and affirmations and journaling and positive psychology and Seligman's work and stuff has been very, I think, abused and has only worked for a percentage of people. But it's very popular because everyone wants that. We want that. We want those goals. We live in a very in a, in a society that has made that, that the ideal. So I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying the way I'm not saying I'm, what, what I'm not saying that the concept is wrong of um, of of speaking um, of, of wanting having goals and speaking those goals and that kind of thing and, and, and working towards those goals um, and visions and whatever. What I believe is very dangerous is that you can't say something and think that if I do or say that that it's going to happen so when it does happen there's a whole lot of stuff that's going on behind it so the saying is is once again to use the iceberg example it seriously is the tip of the iceberg and if that iceberg is if that's all it is it's just going to melt it's not going to do anything it's just going to float away and disappear that piece of ice but if there's an iceberg that you know and icebergs are enormous underneath it then there is a level of possibility that that will that certain elements of that will come coming to being um, and it's not that they come to being it's that that you generate you it's not that they come to being they magically come to being it's that there's a belief system that sets you in chart as a path so if you just pop on a positive affirmation or a statement it's like putting a band-aid on a bullet wound the, it's not going to heal the bullet wound and a lot of people use it like that mm. and then they wonder why it doesn't work and journaling all those things have been around but if they're not used so they're not used correctly the whole point therefore is if they're not used correctly um they they basically can cause more problems than because people think what's wrong with me and that's what the wellness industry and this movement has created that people think that they're broken and that they're not good enough and you know it's created a whole um sort of environment where people are dying eight to 25 years younger from a combination of psychotropic drugs, incorrect mental health philosophy, where people are told they've got brain diseases, um, lifestyles not being managed. So people are dying from preventable lifestyle stuff. And um, and you, you can literally pop positive psychology and those kind of things that are misused or used incorrectly into that category. So how does it work? How do you get the iceberg? Well, the iceberg is a reality, is a, is, is a very much a real it's not a bandit on the bullet wound, but it is setting up a situation of um, of these these are what I'd like to achieve. But in that in that in that goal of achieving those, there's there's a belief in what I can do, and there's a realistic set of expectations, and there's a pathway that that is built to achieve those. So you can't just put it out there and then do nothing towards it. So in other words, to achieve that, there is a whole lot of steps that come before, mm -hmm. and there's up for like Thomas Edison. He is a thousand and one times before he got it right with a light bulb. And so does that mean he failed a thousand times? No, it means there was a possibility pathway. It means that there were a thousand things that didn't work to get there. So the, if you set your goal and the first thing didn't work, 
you obviously are the kind of person who tries something else to try something else try until you make the light bulb work and so you're seeing what like thomas edison when he was interviewed he he actually said those because someone said what do you feel about your thousand failures they were more interested in the failures than they were in the fact that he got light working in a light bulb and he turned to them and said what has changed my life the statement it's not that I had a thousand failures. It's a thousand things that I know don't work. Mm. So he turned it into a learning experience. And that's builds a foundation for achieving a goal. It is this persistent. That's what I would like to achieve. I think this is what it looks like, but the possibility exists that it may look something different, but that's what I'm going towards. But I understand there's a lot of learning to be done along the way. So I've there's a whole iceberg underneath before you get to that point. Mm -hmm. And like you already said it yourself, you didn't get COVID, you may still get it, who knows, but you work really hard at building your immune system. You are very conscious of eating the right food. You're very conscious of having the right attitude. Now, in other words, your mind, which drives your body, is you're working on that. You're working on not allowing yourself to get stuck in, in negative stuff. I, I assume, and I stand correct because I don't know you and you can correct me here, but I assume you allow yourself to feel. I assume you allow yourself to feel emotions because otherwise you'd be falling apart because this whole, you know, the toxic masculinity that oh, men don't cry, men don't feel a lot of nonsense. It's just, you know, that's what kills men. That's why men have heart attacks. If we don't, we have to feel. So I assume you processing your emotions. And when you process your emotions, it means that you reconstruct them because if you keep toxic thoughts inside of your brain, they literally look like these wiry trees. They create a, such a, um, a, an immune storm, exactly like the COVID virus creates and uh, high inflammation and, your DNA is affected. I mean, I can go on and on, on. There's a million neurophysiological responses that will occur in response to not dealing with a toxic issue. But if you own it, if you face it, if you say, I'm feeling depressed, there's something going on in my life and this is how I feel and you look at this is how I'm thinking and is this the right thing? And you start processing and deconstructing to find, okay, this is the source. This is why I'm doing this. If you're going through that process, then you are your whole mind, brain, body physiology is strong. So therefore, if, if that plus nutrition, plus exercise, plus being realistic about, you know, like if you keep saying, I'm never going to be depressed, that will kill you. But saying, oh, it's okay for you to be depressed. Um, it's, it's okay to be a mess. I'm using the words that I always use, but I'm going to manage it. I'm not going to stay there. Those are the, that kind of package builds you your, your whole neurophysiology and your psychoneurophysiology, so the mind-brain-body connection, into a state where um, you now are using that kind of positive state in the correct way, um, that positive statement or that goal or that vision. So with the system I've developed called the NeuroCycle, which is based on 38 years of clinical research and science and all that stuff that I've been telling you, um, it's not just something I've sucked out my thumb. I've done rigorous scientific research in the field, et cetera, and clinically to work out what do you do to get the iceberg underneath the tip? In other words, what do you do with your mind to set up your brain and prime your brain and your body? And then set up this feedback loop between the mind, brain, and body that you're managing the messes of our life. Because our lives are, everyone, if you're human and alive, you're a mess. Because, And you can't avoid it because life is messy. And But the whole thing is, is are you managing the mess? And that's what I found is key to humans moving forward is it's okay to be a mess. Am I managing it? That builds the iceberg. That allows you to fail a thousand times and see it as not failure, but as learning expectations. And it, so it takes, so it's that type of thinking that I've tried to help people that I've tried to understand and then develop into a system that I've literally made as simple as I can, because I had to make it very simple for my patients with 
dementias and traumas and you know like severe learning problems and whatever and autism and so on I had to and just people battling with like sexual trauma and 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 war and you you, you can't give heavy sign you have to have something that people can do that's hands-on and um and so I wanted to understand that and put that into a system not a technique within which you can put meditation and havening and breathing and and you know all the the dietary components and it's, it's into that I wanted to just know how do you get first cause in line so that it drives mind and brain and body in the right direction so that and then something so so therefore something like a positive affirmation or setting the goal that i'm not going to get COVID. i'm going to and you said it so clearly maybe you didn't even realize you said it but you actually have taken the steps to make sure you didn't just say it you built the iceberg mm-hmm. so you didn't just say it you actually built you know I, I assume then that you don't just say an affirmation you actually have made it a realistic there's a process to achieve. So that's my goal, but I'm building the iceberg underneath it. So the neurocycle system that I've developed is kind of like that. So a positive affirmation fits into step number five. If you've done the previous four steps, you've built the iceberg. You can add the tip, which is the positive affirmation. But if you start with just the positive affirmation, you don't have a foundation. Mm-hmm. It's going to float away somewhere in this in the sea and just disappear. Whereas if it's got a foundation, it actually will lead to something. Yeah. Maybe not exactly what you wanted. Maybe not exactly. You may not get um, really bad COVID, but you may get a sniffle and, 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 and a bit of breakthrough Delta or whatever, but you get through it like within a few days or something like that. That's very different to landing up in hospital and nearly dying or dying, you know, so because you've put things in place mm-hmm. to build the iceberg. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. I think uh, I was almost going to say that I, I, I thought of it in the reverse, but that makes sense as well because a lot of the, for, for my specific situation, I've already set up all the steps to prevent it, obviously. But yeah. what I was going to say is that in, in some cases, a positive affirmation or speaking into the universe could almost be um, a declaration of success, something that helps create the start of self-belief, but it precedes actions and habits that actually create whatever it is that you're trying to. It's because you're starting, what you're saying is you're starting with a goal. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You're starting with a goal. You're starting with a vision. You're starting with a declaration statement because that's where we we do start. But that's, and and that's that's why I said, it's no, that's no issue to start that. But then you can't just, there's a big arch overarching goal. Why I say a positive affirmation would fit in the first step is because once you know what you're going for, you now have to get the systems in place. So just, if that's my goal, if I just take, a magic potion and put it on there, it's not going to work. With a Band-Aid, it's not going to work. I, I, I'm still up there. That doesn't work with just sideline, you know, simple. But if you take a positive affirmation within the whole context of these are the steps, these are the things I have to do, these are the reasons, how, this, these are the belief systems I have to have in place, these are the thoughts that I need to build, mm-hmm. then you are building up towards that. So we're saying the same thing. You yeah. have to have this foundation. That alone crashes. But that goal, now how do I achieve is now the then builds towards that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. that's where the positive affirmation, the goal is different to the affirmation. Yep. The goal is not achieved with the affirmation. The goal is achieved with the steps. The affirmation is just the end product technique that is built along a belief system. Otherwise, there's no foundation. It just collapses. Yeah, yeah. I think it serves as a good reminder of what you're doing. You know, that's and that's part of the reason why I still write things in my journal is, is to constantly remind me yeah. what I'm doing things for. Or, um. I use a greens drink as an example. Sometimes I'll, I'll recommend a greens drink supplement and people are like, Oh, so I, is that like replace vegetables? And I'm like, no, not at all. Not whatsoever. But starting with this, it does start you on a healthy habit. And in your mind, you're starting the day yeah. 
with the perception of I'm going to attack this day, chasing my goals. I started it right away exactly. with this, this yeah. positive thing. Um, yeah, so you're doing something. You're doing something, but the yeah. attitude behind it has got depth. Mm-hmm. You're not just doing it and then like, uh, you know, the one thing, but there's nothing behind it. There's got to always be that depth goal, yeah. but there's the depth behind it. Yeah. There's a process of thinking. I love that. So uh, I mentioned this briefly before just because I've always been interested in the placebo effect. Um, how does this relate? You know, there's, there's uh, one that's in the fitness industry that blew my mind was there was a, uh, a study on steroids, but there was actually no steroids included in the study. One group had placebo yeah, and one group that's how they work, didn't. Yeah. Um, and they built more muscle than the group that didn't have fake steroids. And that blew my mind. But to me, um, I, I would say that this is kind of what we're talking about right now with the mind. Well, it is. It's, it's evidence of mind. I mean, yeah. I can answer that very simplistically by saying that as every, every, second you are making a million plus new cells so eventually our whole body is rebuilding itself and the quality of those cells are based on the quality of the telomeres which are the ends of chromosomes if i cross my finger my fingernails would be the telomeres and telomeres are a a proxy for our mind management there's been a ton of research done on diet and influence on telomeres and now there's a lot of new research coming out on mind mind management or stress management i've done one of the first studies on how if you deliberately intentionally manage your mind in a very systemized way where it goes from meditation and beyond so it's not just meditation that's not enough you can't just be mindfully aware you have to actually that's only like step one that's only brain preparation then there's still five steps so when you take the whole concept together you can influence the health of your your telomeres so now in context if you're making a million new cells plus every second those cells make up your organs, which make up your systems, which make up your body. That means if they're driven by your mind, the quality of your body is driven by your mind. Can you see the, can you see the relationship? Yeah. So I showed with my most recent trials, which I put in my book, is that when, um, when people come in, like I had some subjects, um, we had, a, and I'll forget to the placebo thing, we had obviously the randomized control. So we had, um, we had a control group and an experimental group. And we, we didn't, we, in, in, in essence, you could say it was a level of placebo, but we didn't have a, another treatment. We just, they just got all the evaluations, but no one, they, they obviously didn't know, the, neither group experimental nor control knew what the other group was getting. They all just assumed they would, that the whole thing was what they were getting. Mm. The control group didn't know that there were evaluations plus a treatment until after the the experimental group didn't know that the control group weren't getting the same treatment so in other words we in in essence had a placebo and we looked at um, brain blood whatever and we also looked at the telomeres and what we found is at the beginning of the study um the people's baseline telomeres were tells you a lot about your biological age the the health of your cells and can be is predictive if it's not managed it's predictive of of kind of illness and that kind of stuff and quality of life lifestyle mental health etc and um, some of our subjects in all pretty much all of our subjects had pretty bad telomeres at the beginning of the study but there's one case two case studies i put in the book and the one is that they this was a person in their 30s and they so in their 30s but their biological age the age of their cells which means of their system brain the organs in their systems was of a sickly 65 year old so here if you are i assume you're like what late 20s early 30s and let's say that your your body sorry you are 29 yeah 29 so you i guess right so you imagine that age imagine if your body was of a sickly 65 year old you'd have you would probably have COVID by now yeah and plus a whole bunch of other stuff especially if it was sickly okay and so we see that from 
telomeres and then we see that the telomeres nothing works in isolation this whole person's life from the narrative psychological testing blood work inflammation levels all the lots and lots and lots of evaluation that we did show that this person across the board was just not functioning within three weeks of mind management that started shifting within nine weeks the chronological and biological age were the same so that goes to the the wow. so the, the perceived now now in the in the control group that were in effect the placebo group they had didn't have treatment they but they didn't know that um and placebo can be no treatment or can be if it's if it's easy if it's if it's like a pill because you can give a sugar pill versus a um a real pill or if it's a surgery you can still put people under but one person has the knee surgery and the other person doesn't there's lots of studies like that and both get both are fine afterwards which is phenomenal so the placebo is very real so what's happening there is that the mind is first cause the mind is i i from my research and theory predict that the mind is 90 to 99 percent of who we are that the brain and body are one to ten percent of who we are and as i keep saying you need each, they need each other the mind shows up in the brain you experience your mind through your body and your brain but if that's the case if the mind is so powerful which it is and we all know that because you've just said it in a million ways already on this podcast um that then that it makes sense that if my mind is is seeing problem after problem and and which that i don't care what i eat i don't care what it just everything goes which we had in our control group we had some people that they they through the testing they became so aware of their issues so very mindful of their issues but they weren't managing them they got so bad at the end of nine weeks we had people that were like really bad their telomeres were like they were they'd gone the opposite you know they got even worse and um high levels of anxiety and like non-functional so obviously we put them straight onto the treatment that's why we kept it ethically at only nine weeks and put them onto the treatment as uh, the as soon as which was the neurocycle which is in this the treatment was in my five-step neurocycle which is in this book the second half and that's what the, the treatment group did and it's in an app form which is available for everyone so on apple um, and itunes and um, google play so they they didn't get therapy they got that loaded in and this is the power behind the mind they didn't get someone coaching them through the process and i'm not against coaching i think coaching is phenomenal we need coaching we need therapy we need counseling we need it all but you also need your mind managed you, you live with yourself 24 7 you don't live with your coach and therapist 24 7 you wake up at night with the anxiety attack you've got to manage your mind you know so in other words mind management is something that we do 24 7 and then we supported by the coaching the counseling etc which i'm totally pro as as i've been saying but the 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 placebo effect then shows that those subjects that were becoming very aware their telomeres were getting worse the uh, homocysteine levels and dhea and cortisol and all the biomarkers we look at for health in the body um, and the brain scanning that we did with qeg the head maps were getting worse and worse and worse so increased awareness without management made a person worse made their body worse and so the the those that had the treatment were changing so now if if we um if if you take a drug trial or you take a you take a like the steroid trial you're talking about the if you believe if you told this drug is going to build your muscles you tell that to a person you have now planted this in their brain you've told them about it because ethically you have to give a lot of information if you're running a clinical trial with a drug and people sign off documents and there's a lot of so there's a lot of information so you're pretty excited about this but you don't know which group you're in so you're just hoping but the mere hope and the mere fact that they have planted all this information your interpretation of that is that wow this is amazing it's going to build my muscles it's going to this it's going to that it's going to heal my knees it's whatever so you've already set up a kind of insurance policy in your brain 
and I talk about this a lot. In fact, I'm writing a book at the moment about the fact that our thoughts become our insurance policies, um, negative or positive. So you've, so the placebo effect is in effect that. And this, this now in your brain also has changed your genes. So you've primed your brain and your body and your brain waves your, the, in the gravitational fields. This is also stored. So your entire brain psychobiological, neurobiological network is primed for success. And that's why the steroids built the muscles because the message that the real message is the mind behind the drug and the drug happens to maybe boost it, but the mind is so strong that you get that same effect. And not everyone has that same kind of, hasn't trained themselves to that extent. So, you know, any placebo controlled trial, you get percentages of success. So, and it doesn't mean that someone's better than someone else. It just means that where are you in your level of self-regulation that you can use your mind to that extent. And that can be trained. So it is, it's, it's very real. You get the same as it's the placebo, same as nocebo. Mm-hmm. So if I believe this is going to be bad for me, um, you set every system in your body up for it being bad for you. And, and stress is one of those things. It's a classic example of the placebo effect. Stress is always seen as this negative thing because that's how it's been painted in the media for the last 40 years. And if not longer. And so when people think stress, ah, bad, as soon as you think that, 1400 neurophysiological responses start working against you. Meanwhile, stress is one of the best things for us. Stress makes us alert and focused. Stress is there to make us work better, Mm -hmm. to make us function better, but it works in cycles of tension and release. So when we are learning something new, as you started this conversation, as we're talking and learning new, we keep going through cycles of positive stress, of healthy stress, of normal stress. So, so stress is very normal. It helps us all the functionality. So for example, one of them is that you're immediately right now in this conversation because we're both interested in this topic and we're having a good conversation back and forth. We're going to have a good stress response, which means the blood vessels around our heart will, will dilate, which means there's more blood in our brain and more oxygen in the front part of our brain, which changes the, 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 the ratio of delta, theta, alpha, beta, gamma in a balanced, coherent way across both sides of the brain. And all of that leads to very creative, deep thinking. And that's very healthy for the, the brain and the body. And that's happening as we're talking but so in the same sense that if you have the negative it can have that opposite effect it it, it can it, so in other words it's the paradox it's the neuroplastic paradox that if you are thinking of um, excited and you're having this whole incredible response across your brain and your body um, it's building the healthy networks it's priming your body you in this high functional state you've got extra blood flow it's going into the front of your so that extra blood flow is pushing all this extra oxygen to the front of your brain but if i said oh, this, this stress is terrible for me. This is like, I can't handle this. I, I know stress kills. If that's your philosophy on stress, within seconds, instead of the blood vessels around your heart dilating, they contract. And now you've got less blood flow and less oxygen to the front of your brain. And that coherence and all the stuff I've been saying about brain waves isn't going to be in effect. Now your thinking drops off, your impulse of your reaction time has changed. You you become reactive instead of responsive and all kinds of stuff. starts going wrong in the brain and the body. So, you know, that kind of relates to that whole, how our mind drives yeah. is very much, that's why it needs so much attention. We yeah. don't give it enough. Well, and it's, it's, it's funny. Um, I've had plenty of people ask me because I read I read a lot and uh, I'm very I'm interested in a lot of things and I'm an entrepreneur so I'm constantly studying and learning yeah, and writing yeah. and creating. That's good. Very and I've been good. asked so many times like, "Oh, you must have done great in school." And I was like, "No, I did horrible in in grade school and high school and everything until I got into college and, and actually changed my degree into something that I really cared about and Loved. was interested in. And then I couldn't get my head out of a book. Um, real quick on the placebo thing, and then we I want to get into just what you have to offer so people because I know we're running out of sure. time. 
um, the knee thing. That's something I've used an example, and some people don't believe me, but there was knee surgeries with the somebody yeah, actually Baylor, got it. Baylor University here in Texas, yeah. very famous study. Um, did the did the mind cause the body to actually heal the knee, or did it uh, allow you to not perceive the pain? of what was there still. Well, the, the knees were actually healed in that particular surgery. The people that didn't have the surgery, their knees were healed. So oh. they didn't have any surgery, but they were both, both groups were put under anesthetic. And so the people, and, and also the, what was super interesting about that particular study at Baylor was that the uh, surgeons, um, uh, the surgeons in both groups, the ones that weren't having their knees cut, but they made, they still scalpel forceps, mm -hmm. but they didn't actually cut but they made as though they were. So the surgery times were the same because our non-conscious mind is always working. So you can't kid the non-conscious mind. Mm. So the non-conscious mind is um, perceiving what's going on and the conscious mind is basically quieted for that. That's what anesthetics do. They quiet the conscious mind mm -hmm. and they quiet the pain zones and that kind of stuff. So there's that part of that, they numb those parts of the brain and that, that the conscious mind will use to be active. So the, but the non-conscious mind never stops because you, when, when it does you're dead so yeah. it operates 24 7 and the non-conscious mind brain and body always know ahead of the conscious mind what's going on so the non-conscious mind perceives what was going on and there's two two ways that i see this either the non-conscious mind knew this was a trick but knew knew its power so it drove the healing process or the non-conscious mind perceived the fact that you were under anesthetic and the, there's there's a period of time that you're in surgery and you came out at the same time and you're in the recovery room with, with the others that went through the same surgery so all of those factors were in place and the non-conscious mind was perceiving that so when you woke up all that was in the non-conscious mind and that was the energy that's required to create the healing response so because healing, the healing response is stimulated by the mind to activate the immune response to send and for the stem cells to respond for the healing to take place. So the surgery is the catalyst that puts the, you know, lines up the ducks in a row. Yeah. And so the ones that had the surgery had the ducks lined up. The other ones didn't. But the non-conscious mind either knew that or um, and um, and because of the power of the unconscious mind realize, okay, well, I don't need the ducks. I just can do it anyway. All the unconscious mind didn't actually realize that the surgery wasn't happening, but it seemed like it was happening. So it perceived the process and either way it created the change because the same, they all had the same response, which is super interesting. That's so wild. It's literally blows my mind. So um, I know it we does. only got a few minutes, so I want to wrap this up. Um, you have a book, you have an app and you have an upcoming course, um, which I would love to get you back on. Cause I could literally go for hours on this kind of stuff. Um, and I know a it's lot fascinating, of people, isn't it? I love it, it too. <laughs> it really is. And a lot of people listening to this would be perfect fits for your course, but give us um, the book, Fantastic. the app where they can find you on social media, all that kind of stuff, your content, just so we can leave everybody with some stuff and I can drop it all in the show notes of this podcast. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Cody. Well, Dr. Caroline Neef is my Instagram handle and all my social media handles. As you know, you can get everywhere from there. Mm -hmm. My webpage, drleaf.com. Um, my book is called Cleaning. Well, I've got plenty of books, but my most recent is Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. My podcast is called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, where I teach a lot of these concepts and things. And then um, the app is called Neurocycle, and that's available on iTunes and Google Play. And yes, we have a fantastic coaching program coming out where people will become Neurocycle mind management coaches, and you can fit that into any kind of coaching that you do any kind of therapy because it's pretty much the system it's the vehicle within which you can do whatever you're doing so if you're a nutritional coach 
this is the vehicle that makes the nutritional coaching work better. If you're an exercise coach or combination, so now that, or if you're a therapist, you've, so it's basically how you make your mind work with your brain and prime your brain to do what it's supposed to do and drive the neuroplasticity. So we've got that coaching program, which will be launched fairly soon as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to put all that in the show notes so people can check it out. Um, and I really, really appreciate you spending time with us. This was an amazing conversation. Thank you. I enjoyed it as well. Thanks, Cody. Great meeting you. I'm glad we got to do it. Yeah. Yeah.